This week, we continue to read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The word of the Lord. Do you ever feel like you want to escape this world? Life is hard. Uh, this world is a painful, difficult place. Uh, the world is full of evil and suffering. Do you ever feel like you just want to fly away from the hardness of life? I do. We all do. And we use different things to escape alcohol, ice cream, sex, social media, shopping, video gaming, whatever does the trick for you even religion. In fact, pretty much every religion in the world offers people some kind of way of, some kind of ultimate escape from the hardness of life. In other words, if you live a good life, if you live the right kind of life, then you too can find a way of escaping this world of suffering. We all have this powerful desire to escape this world of suffering, but we also have an equally powerful desire to heal this world of suffering. And we have different ways that we do that. Social justice movements, technology, science, medicine, politics, art. We have these equally powerful desires, and yet these desires are in tension with one another. We're like the rope in a tug of war getting pulled in two totally opposite directions. So throughout history, there's always been this tension between wanting to put our hope in a world beyond this world and wanting to put our hope in the healing of this world. So for instance, have you ever heard people say, religious people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good? The idea is that religious people, they put all of their hope in heaven, and therefore they don't care about this world. They don't care about justice or the environment or caring for the poor, which means that apparently we have a choice. Either you can be a traditional religious person and give up on this world, or you can be a modern enlightened person and commit to this world. But Jesus is encouraging us to explore the possibility that that is a false choice. Why? We're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. In this section, Jesus is teaching us about prayer, and he's doing it by giving us a model prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And this morning, we're looking at verse 10, which says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus is showing us that our desire for a world beyond this world does not have to be in conflict or tension with our desire for the healing of this world. Why? How? 
Well, it's all wrapped up in this idea of the kingdom come. What does that mean? Well, let's find out by asking three questions. What is the kingdom come? Where does the kingdom come? And lastly, how does the kingdom come? What is the kingdom come? Where does the kingdom come? And how does the kingdom come? Okay, first, what is the kingdom come? One of the big challenges for us as modern people is that whenever we hear this language about the kingdom of God, um, either it means nothing to us or it means the wrong thing to us. So we have to make sure we're understanding what Jesus is actually saying here. Uh, Any ancient Jewish person that heard Jesus talking about the kingdom of God would have immediately known that he's pointing to the main storyline of the whole Bible. Uh, uh, the, the, the whole biblical storylines, in many ways, it's an ongoing story of exile and homecoming. Of exile and homecoming. So, for instance, book of Exodus, Israel is in slavery in Egypt, exile. But then God rescues them and brings them into the promised land, homecoming. Hundreds of years later, they're invaded and carried away into captivity in Babylon, exile again. But then God brings them back to the promised land, homecoming again. Only it's not a real homecoming because their land is under foreign occupation and they're living lives um, of subjugation and oppression. It's not a real homecoming. Um, Except the Bible is full of these promises and these prophecies that one day God is going to bring about the ultimate homecoming. The the whole biblical storyline is all about the promise that one day God is going to rescue his people from exile. He's going to rescue them from evil and oppression and suffering, and he's going to bring them home. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like your experience in this world is an experience of exile? Do you ever feel like, like you were made for a world of goodness, beauty, truth, and love only you've never experienced it, and yet your whole life has been haunted by the longing for this world. There's an African-American spiritual song that goes all the way back to the slave era. The words go like this. It says, sometimes I feel like a motherless child a long way from home, a long way from home. There's this sense this experience that we all have that there's a world we were made for, a home, a real home where we belong, but we're not there and we ache for it. Friends, Jesus is showing us what we ache for. The human condition is one of exile and alienation. It's one of cosmic homelessness. And throughout history, many thinkers have um, explained or described this experience we have in different ways. So, for instance, Karl Marx uh, said that, that our biggest problem as human beings is that we're economically alienated. But then you head over to Sigmund Freud, the father of modern psychology, and he said, no, no, our biggest problem as human beings is that we're psychologically alienated. But then if you listen to Emile Durkheim, the father of modern sociology, he would have said, no, no, our biggest problem as human beings is that we're socially alienated. All of the the greatest thinkers of the world have described or explained different aspects of this experience of exile and alienation, but only the Bible says actually they're all right, only none of them go deep enough. 
They're describing various symptoms of our root problem, but none of them are actually getting to the root problem itself. What is the root, the very core of our experience of exile and alienation in this world? Friends, in order to understand that, we have to go back to the beginning of the story. In the book of Genesis, in the very beginning of the Bible, the very first human beings were in the Garden of Eden. We were home. But then we were cast out, sent away from the garden into exile. We lost our relationship with God. We lost our connection with God. And so all of these other experiences that we have of alienation are the result of our our alienation from God. Now, why did that happen? What happened in the garden? Well, in order to understand that, let's go back to the prayer. Jesus says that we should pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. What is the kingdom of God? At its simplest level, the kingdom of God is any place where God's will is done. The kingdom of God is any place where everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be because everything is exactly the way God wants it to be. What happened in the garden? The very first human said, not your will be done, my will be done. Why are we alienated from ourselves? Why are we alienated from each other? Why are we alienated from the whole world around us? Because at the root, we're alienated from God. And the reason we're alienated from God is because we said, not your will be done, my will be done. So that when Jesus showed up and started talking about the kingdom of God, everyone back then would have immediately known that Jesus was saying, friends, the return from exile is here. The world that you were made for is available to you now. It's time to come home. So the kingdom of God is the world that you were made for, the world, the home that you long for. It's it's a place where everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be because everything is exactly the way God wants it to be. Jesus is saying, pray for that. He's saying, don't ignore the ache in your heart. Set Set your heart on that ache for which you are longing. Learn to pray for the full and ultimate arrival of that world, that home, that will for which you were made. And as we say that, that leads us back to the tension we were talking about at the very beginning. Remember we said that we're all caught between a longing for a world beyond this world and a longing for the healing of this world. So far, it sounds like Jesus is offering us a world beyond this world, which he is. But that raises the question, what about this world? Well, that's our next point. We've seen what is the kingdom come, but secondly, where does the kingdom come? Remember at the beginning we said that um, pretty much every religion offers us some kind of ultimate escape from this material world. In other words, this world is a pain, uh, a world of pain and suffering. But if you live a good life, if you devote yourself to holy living, then you can escape this material world and be liberated into heaven or enlightenment, or nirvana, or moksha, or whatever the different religions call salvation. But, but the point is, every single religion in the world offers us some kind of escape from this material world into some kind of disembodied spiritual world. Now here's the question, is that what Jesus is offering us here? Well, let's go back to the prayer. He teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, 
And here's the billion-dollar question, where? On earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, it's staring us right in the face. You know, as far as I've ever been able to discover, and I've, I've been studying this and looking into it for more than two decades now, as far as I've ever been able to discover, only the Bible shows us a God whose ultimate vision for this world is not destroying this world and carrying us away to some disembodied heaven. God's ultimate vision for this world is renewing this world by uniting it with heaven. That is a radically unique vision among all the world's religions. For instance, Vinoth Ramachandra is a Christian writer and social activist. He's also a Sri Lankan, which means that he knows way more about all the different religions of the world than we do because he lives right in the middle of them. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. In a lecture he once gave, Vinoth Ramachandra says that, you know, sometimes people will ask, hey, don't you think that there's salvation in other faiths? Here's how he responds to that question. He says, biblical salvation lies not in release from this temporal and material world, but in the transformation of it. You will not find hope for the world in any of the religious systems or philosophies of humankind. The biblical vision is unique. That is why when some people ask me, don't you think there's salvation in other faiths? I always say, what salvation are you talking about? Not this salvation. You know, that is a brilliant response from someone who knows what he's talking about. The kingdom of God is not the eradication of this world. It's not the evacuation of this world. It's the transformation of this world. That's the biblical vision that Jesus is talking about here. And once you realize that, all of a sudden, the rest of the Bible begins to make a lot more sense. You know, if you go back to the beginning, book of Genesis, when God creates everything and, and everything in creation, every time God creates something, um, He says, this is good. This is good. Oh, behold, this is very good. God loves his material creation. Everything in creation was God's idea. God created mountains and waterfalls. He created dolphins and butterflies. He created DNA and enzymes. God created uh, eyelashes and fingernails and belly buttons. Everything in, God, in creation is God's idea, and God loves everything in material creation. He's not giving up on it. Now, a lot of times we do feel like giving up on it, which makes sense. Because remember, in the garden, humanity rebelled against God. And because of that, everything is falling apart. The reason that we live in a world of pain, suffering, evil, and death is because we said, not your will be done, my will be done. So it makes sense that a lot of times we would want to escape this world of evil and suffering. But God's response to this world of evil and suffering is not to escape this world, but to renew this world. Now, here's why this is so important for us. On the one hand, this world is coming. The world that we were made for, it's guaranteed. It's on its way. It's going to renew this material world. But on the other hand, the Bible is also very clear that the ultimate renewal of this world is not something that we can accomplish. Only God can do that. Not us. God. 
So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's a way of acknowledging that only God has the power to bring about the ultimate renewal of the world that we all long for. We don't have the power to do that. Or as one Christian writer puts it like this, he says, we're not creating the kingdom, we're awaiting the kingdom. We are not creating the kingdom, we're awaiting the kingdom. But here's the thing that's so important for us. Just because we're awaiting the kingdom does not mean that we have nothing to do in this world. Even though we are not creating the kingdom, we are not bringing the kingdom, we still have work to do in this world. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching us to live the life of the world to come in this world today. Jesus is teaching us to live the life of the world to come in this world today. So even though we're still waiting for God to bring about the ultimate renewal that we all long for in in this world, we are called to live the life of the world to come in this world today. So think about it. If you knew, and I mean really believed, that the ultimate future of this world is guaranteed, that, that, that the world you long for is on its way, it's inevitable, that would completely change the way you live in this world today. Or we could put it like this. Your priorities for today are determined by what you believe is possible for tomorrow. Your priorities for today are always determined by what you believe is possible for tomorrow. So if you really believed that the ultimate future of this material world is is a material embodied future in which there's no more sickness or disease, no more poverty or war or violence, no more racism or death or loneliness or addiction, if you really believed that that's what's possible for tomorrow, that would completely transform your priorities for today. That means that Christians, of all people, have more incentive, more motivation for pouring ourselves into things like justice and equity and the environment, or things like housing, education, and jobs and caring for the poor. We have far more incentive and motivation to do that than anyone else in the world, not because we think that we can bring about the perfect world, but because we believe that only God can do it and that our job in this world is to be is to point to that future reality by making a difference in this reality. In other words, our lives, and especially our lives together as a community, that is, the church, our lives in this world are meant to be a sign or a foretaste of the world to come in this world. We're supposed to be a teaser trailer or a taster menu or whatever image strikes your fancy, but that's our call in this world. And that leads to our last question. We've seen where is the kingdom come? It, it, I mean, what is the kingdom come? It's, it's the world we all long for, but where does the kingdom come? This material world. But lastly, Jesus is showing us how does the kingdom come? Because here's one of the biggest challenges for following Jesus in this world today. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is showing us that we are supposed to live the life of the world to come in this world today. Now, the world to come, that's a wonderful world, but this world today, not so much. Living the life of, of the world to come in this world today is going to mean that, that our lives are going to come into confrontation and conflict with all of the forces in this world that are opposed to God. All of the forces that are deeply committed to saying, not your will be done, O God, my will be done. But you realize, of course, that many of those forces are in our own hearts. 
That means that, that living the life of the world to come in this world today is going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to be messy because it's going to mean a reversal of what happened in the garden. It's going to mean us learning to say, not my will be done, but your will be done. Friends, praying the Lord's Prayer is one of the main ways that happens. Because when we pray this prayer, especially verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we pray like that, it's an exercise in two things. First, it's an exercise in trust. And secondly, it's an exercise in hope. It's an exercise in trust, and it's an exercise in hope, okay? So first, it's an exercise in trust because it means relinquishing our control over our lives and acknowledging to God that, that we don't have the power to make the world or even our lives the way it ought to be. That is traumatic. That is painful. Many of you may know that I was an alcoholic and drug addict for many years. You know, when I got sober, I was not looking for God. But then, um, after a while, I discovered a spiritual hunger in myself, and I started searching for God. One day, I was reading a book by a Trappist monk named Thomas Merton, and here's what he said. He said, despair is the absolute extreme of self-love. It is reached when a man deliberately turns his back on all help from anyone else in order to taste the rotten luxury of knowing himself to be lost. Despair is the ultimate development of a pride so great and so stiff-necked that it selects the absolute misery of damnation rather than accept happiness from the hands of God and thereby acknowledge that He is above us and that we are not capable of fulfilling our destiny by ourselves. Friends, when I read that, it was like getting hit over the head with a two-by-four because I said, that's me. He just laid me bare because I am so entrenched in my own self-exalting, grandiloquent obstinacy and defiance against God. And as I've thought about what Thomas Merton said over the years, I've kind of boiled it down to this. Here's my you know, thumbnail summary of Thomas Merton. I would rather be miserable on my own terms than happy on anyone else's. I'd rather be miserable on my own terms than happy on anyone else's because I want control over my life. When we pray, your will be done, that is an exercise in trust because it means relinquishing control over our lives and putting it back in the hands of God where it belongs. But secondly, learning to pray like this is an exercise in hope. And friends, we can't live without hope. Remember, your priorities today are always determined by what you believe is possible for tomorrow. We can't live without hope. When we pray, your kingdom come, that's an exercise in hope because it means relinquishing despair, relinquishing our weary postmodern irony, relinquishing cynicism about the world, and, and training our hearts, allowing our hearts to ache for the kingdom, giving our hearts permission to believe that with God all things are possible. Friends, learning to pray like that is going to be hard, it's going to be messy and painful, but it is absolutely necessary because living the life of the world to come in this world today is hard and painful and messy. It's going to mean saying yes to God, yes to His will, even when it hurts us, even when it costs us, and it will. 
But dear ones, that is the difference between the gospel and every other religion, every other spirituality, and every other approach to life in this world. Because what does Jesus encourage us to pray? Not your kingdom we ascend to, not your kingdom we achieve. He teaches us to pray your kingdom come. The kingdom is not something that that we ascend to. The kingdom is something that's coming to us by grace. In other words, it's not something that, that we do. It's something that's done for us. Every other religion, every other spirituality, every other way of life in this world basically is telling you, here's what you must do. You want to find healing? You want to find wholeness? You want to find salvation? Here's what you must do. Only the gospel says, no, 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 no. Here's what's been done for you. What has been done for us? Well, think about it. Every kingdom needs a king. When ancient Jewish people heard Jesus talk about the kingdom is coming, they would have immediately known, well, that means that the king is coming. With Jesus, the king has arrived. But this is a king completely unlike any other king the world has ever seen because only this king entered into the hardness and the pain of this world. Only this king entered into the evil and the suffering and the death of this world because only this king prayed this prayer. Friends, when Jesus came to earth, he came to confront all the forces of this world that are opposed to God, opposed to his world, opposed to his will and his ways. Jesus confronted those forces by revealing himself in this world as king of kings. But because he did that, they came to arrest him and to put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But where did they arrest Jesus? Where was that big confrontation? It was in a garden. It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. But in reality, it was a replay of the Garden of Eden. In fact, it was a reversal of the Garden of Eden. In the first garden, the first human beings, Adam and Eve, said to God, God, not your will be done, my will be done. But in this garden, the second garden, the second Adam, the second son of man said, Father, if possible, please let this cup of suffering pass away from me. Nonetheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus was our representative in the garden. He obeyed where we rebelled. And because of that, Jesus became our representative on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ took all the punishment we deserve for our rebellion so that we could receive the, the blessing that he deserves for his obedience. Jesus Christ is the true king of kings who is bringing the kingdom. And the way he brought it was through his obedience, his suffering, and his death on the cross in order to set us free from all of the control and the pride that alienates us from God. Friends, on the cross, Jesus Christ went into the ultimate exile, the ultimate cosmic homelessness, in order to welcome us back into the home, back into the arms of God that we were made for so that we could find welcome home in the arms of God, so that we could learn to pray and to live as citizens and as beloved children of the world to come. Are you learning to pray like this? Are you learning to live like this? When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, it's an exercise in trust and it's an exercise in hope. It's, it's a way of retraining our hearts, of allowing our hearts to ache for the kingdom, to ache 
for the world that we were made for, the home where we belong, to, to give our hearts permission to believe that with God all things are possible. Even the resolution of that conflict we feel caught between a longing for a world beyond this world and our longing for the healing of this world. It's giving our hearts permission to believe that that's possible and then to move into this world of suffering to move right into the suffering of this world, the hardness and the painfulness of life by being a sign of a future reality that makes a difference in this reality. Friends, it's possible because we already have a king who's done all of it for us. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning that you are a God who created us as material embodied beings, but also spiritual beings. And we praise you this morning that, that our ultimate future, your ultimate vision for our lives and for our existence is not the division of those two things, but the reunion and the reconciliation of those two things. And that you are promising and bringing a world, a home where we really belong where, where we live as embodied beings and yet spiritual beings in a world that you created and we're going to live there in, in perfect, total love and harmony and communion with you. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to ache for that, to give our hearts permission to believe in that and to give our hearts permission to long for that by praying your kingdom come, your will be done. Help us, Father, we pray, to, to say no to our own will, to say your will be done, not my will be done. And, and as we do that, Lord, to live lives, uh, the life of the world to come in this world today, that, that our lives would point to that future reality by making a difference in this reality. Father, we beg you to empower us with your Holy Spirit that we might do all of that because you have already done it all for us through Jesus. For it's all in his name we pray. Amen. Friends, we're going to receive our offering at this time. The offering is, is an opportunity for us to respond to the gospel, to respond to, to the gracious redemption that God is offering us through Jesus Christ. So if you're a member, a regular attender of the church, uh, this is an opportunity for us to partner together in the, the work, the vision, the mission that God has called us to. Our vision at Central West End Church is to see a city made new by the gospel, spiritually, socially, and culturally. So if you're a regular attender or a member, then I would encourage you to head over to the Give page on our website where we can partner together in this vision. But if you are a visitor or uh, a guest this morning, then we want to encourage you please to remain our guest and our visitor and not feel any obligation to participate with us financially. Rather, maybe this is an opportunity for us to serve you. We have a page on our website that's devoted to the coronavirus. And if you're in hardship or in need this morning, we would encourage you. There's uh, information there about how to get in touch with us. Please let us know if there's any way that we can help you or serve you, including financially this morning, because we want to be a community that's here for the sake of the community around us, to point to a future reality by making a difference in this reality. So um, I'm going to pray, and then the band is going to pl uh, play. But um, let's all um, join together as we respond to the gospel. Father, we thank you for these gifts and these offerings. Lord, we pray that you would use um, our own generosity, the sacrifices of this church, Father, that many others may come to see and to know and to taste and to experience the love of Jesus and to experience the renewal that is available only in Jesus. For we pray it all in his name. Amen.